Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's episode is the 2014 film Godzilla. And uh, just a heads up, guys, we always discuss films on this podcast with spoilers in mind. So uh, if you haven't seen Godzilla, 2014 version, uh, we would encourage you to see it before listening to the rest of this podcast. Lloyd, did you see any good trailers first up? Because I saw The Edge of Tomorrow. That's the Tom Cruise and... um, Emily Blunt film? Yeah, that made front page of Reddit quite a while ago, and of course I had to check it out. It looks really interesting. Yeah, it does. And I'd seen another trailer that wasn't as good, but they've redone it, or it's a trailer too, and now I was thinking... It's actually not too bad. And Is this their maybe- second outing on a sci-fi film? Like that that those that couple, the main star, stars? I uh, don't think so. Weren't um, they in Oblivion I- together? No. Okay. I-, I don't think that was Emily Blunt. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, so, I don't know, maybe that's just another Tom Cruise movie, but but I thought it looked pretty good. Yeah, no, it does. Uh, I can't wait for it. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Um, Alright, let's get into Godzilla. I mean, this was longer than I thought it needed to be, <laughs> if I can start there. Have you seen Gareth Edwards' uh, first film, Monsters? I have not. Now, I was hoping you had. Yes, I have seen it. Uh, it. The story around what I was hearing, that it was made for about 15 grand, that this young guy, like early 30s, late 20s, has been working in the television industry making commercials. He's the main guy doing all the special effects. And he had this idea for a long time that he was going to make this feature film with monsters. And eventually, I think he quit his job, went to South America with a, a couple of friends. They were actually a couple and they star in the film. And he made this remarkable monster movie in South America did it for dirt cheap and he did all the special effects himself and it looks amazing it looks like a million dollar film but looking it up on Wikipedia I think it was made for half a million dollars like 500,000 so I sort of blew that away the 15, 20 grand (laughs) uh, what everyone was saying Uh, what I like um, I've got the DVD of it and he has actually um, it's an Australian DVD uh, version I've got and he actually has like a a screening to an Australian audience in Melbourne and he talks about um, how he was making the movie and everything like that and one of the most interesting things he said and it's been quoted a while he said your average laptop that you can get off the shelf has more processing power than what they had to make um, Jurassic Park with so I thought that was really interesting like he just put a lot of things in perspective and from that small budget movie Monsters he's been given this mega budget uh, big epic movie Godzilla so it's just great to see him go from sort of like david lynch or razorhead to elephant man you know sort of status it's pretty remarkable yeah and i figure the the thinking behind it is if he used little money to make a film look amazing then you give him more money and the film will look super amazing yeah you know? and he had some very uh, elaborate stars in this as well like very solid actors especially brian cranston of course oh definitely yeah. um my notes for this film you know uh chronological so if, if you don't mind I'll, I'll go through them and we'll um talk the film out as it unfolds yeah definitely can we just talk about godzilla uh just the history of it uh before we begin like go for, t- it. Go yeah. for it <laughs> well everyone knows that like i've been to hiroshima and, um and dave you've uh lived in japan for a bit and we both yeah. know how important godzilla is to the japanese popular culture like what godzilla stemmed from was the fear of nuclear weapons like we're in that nuclear age and it is really horrific um what the power of nuclear weapons and the effect the radiation 
creation has and all what Godzilla was was a reaction to that and the original Godzilla movie which I saw when I was very young and I fell asleep tried to watch it again in my teenage years and fell asleep um, <laughs> it, all it is is a disaster movie and the people gathering together to try and stop this or you know try to survive it um, and uh, like Japan wasn't the first America had done it, uh, a lot of similar themes like with their monster movies Attack of the 50 Foot, Foot Woman uh, what was the other one in The Incredible Shrinking Man uh, Tarantula you know they've done their own radiation movies um, since then Godzilla has grown into you know they've gone in all kinds of directions with it like there's Godzilla versus other monsters and uh, you know it's, it almost looks like Power Rangers <laughs> it's oh, sort- I've got Power Rangers written in my notes <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of fall into into that um, area but Godzilla is very meaningful for the Japanese um uh, popular culture especially and it's a big icon for their country uh, They America of course remade it with Matthew Broderick in 1998 I think and it was one of the most impressively marketed movies I had ever seen like I remember um, seeing buses going by his foot is as big as his bus and seeing yep. billboards his eyes as big as his billboard and the trailer gave nothing away I think it had it wasn't even in the movie it was just people fishing and then all of a sudden all this water splashing around and this big shadow thing emerges from the sea and it was so impressive and that um that yeah. trailer's actually burned into my memory i remember seeing it so many times at the movies oh and, yeah um it was uh, a guy on a pier and he was fishing and then you see the water start to rise um as if something is about to come out of the water you know it's like creating that tsunami effect yeah. we saw it quite a few times in this godzilla and um yeah he starts to run and the pier starts exploding as if something <laughs> is underneath it and yeah, it doesn't show Godzilla, of course, in these marketing campaigns. Uh, did you what? What did you think of that um, first Godzilla, the nine ninety eight one? Um, kind of hokey. Kinda, I hated it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit silly, really. Lots yeah. of terrible dialogue and stuff. I mean, this film had its moments, um, but i think this is a good remake the one we're talking about today absolutely uh, i agree with you yep it's it's just that it had too many problems for me and it was too slow yeah well i, I had the same thing i i was at the end of the movie laughing at it going oh, i can't believe they went like where they're all cheering at godzilla which we'll get to and i'm mm. just like oh but then i thought about it and i kept thinking about the 998 film and i just go man they they've done really well they've you know not only is the human story there but they also included a lot what godzilla has become very popular with um you know godzilla versus other monsters they've at least included that aspect in this movie so they pulled off a lot of elements and also at heart it's a survival movie as well where you know the people have to try to survive this sort of you know disaster (laughs) if we can call it that yeah, for sure. I mean, you mentioned the whole nuclear thing. Uh, at the very beginning, the opening credits are full of that. Yeah. Um, all the blackening out of the words around they the They changed the titles. mythology. From what I understand, Godzilla was obviously um, transformed due to the radiation. Like, I guess a creature transformed from the radiation of um, nuclear weapons and stuff. And in this one, I think he's existed underground for a long time. Is that what you got from it as well? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they've been tracking him for 15 years. Yeah between these two events um hard to say because it's sort of i only watched this uh, yesterday but they um they do show the mythology of both the the muto as well yep the mutant unidentified something object yep. whatever t was um 
and Ken Watanabe when he first goes to uh, the Philippines, Lloyd, yeah. <laughs> in, in 1999, uh, in that Jurassic Park chopper arrival scene. <laughs> He really hits the audience over the head with it. They're inside like a rib cage. And yeah. You think the rib cage is kind of like maybe a Godzilla or something that died there? Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's the, the the dialogue. This one looks broken, like something came out of it. I was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you can't say to the audience you're really dumb in the first few minutes, <laughs> but they did. It's an interesting landscape for this movie to come out because we've had Pacific Rim, we've got Transformers, you know, it's, you know, thanks largely to the predecessors of Godzilla, like Godzilla vs. Biollante, Godzilla vs. Um, Godzilla 1985, Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla, whatever, or even Power Rangers, we're seeing a lot of those, you know, cities in, in disaster due to these giant monsters, and Godzilla is like, you know, the original sort of thing, I don't want to say the original because they were doing it before with King Kong and stuff like that, but... But, you know, it's an interesting landscape that this great titan of Japanese culture is um, is under. <laughs> For me, I feel like Cloverfield was also, um, you know, attributed uh, to this. I'm so popular. glad you brought that up because I always was interested in uh, well, what, what's it like, not from the main hero's point of view, but what's it like from the point of view of just the average John Doe trying to survive under this disaster? And I think Cloverfield, like it had a lot of issues, Cloverfield, but I think that's a very underrated movie. Yeah, Cloverfield had this one shot, and it was uh, of the cameraman underneath the monster as the monster sort of looks down at it. Yeah. And for me, that shot was only over there so that you could say, this is what the monster looks like up close. Yes. And there was exactly the same scene in this film when uh, he's on the train tracks. Yeah. And the monster's sort of just moving right around him kind of thing, just so you can get a good look at him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Brian Cranston, Walter White, <laughs> is an engineer who is working so hard in Japan that he forgets his own birthday. And I don't know, you know, <laughs> I don't know that anyone's ever forgotten their birthday, especially someone who has a wife and a child to remind My them. My dad the does. <laughs> he does forget yeah. his birthday? He's like, oh, don't remind me. Like, if we tell him, oh, happy birthday, dad. He's like, what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to forget it, though. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I thought it was great in that whole um, Brian Cranston uh, beginning sequence how uh, everyone in Japan learned English for him. Yeah, you know that was great. <laughs> very convenient. That, that very convenient that he um, he went to Japan, but he didn't have to say very much Japanese at all. Just a little bit on the phone, mush mushy, hi. <laughs> uh, he yeah, obviously can speak Japanese. Like uh, that was implicit. Exactly. Just. Just a little bit. And it seemed like over the 15 years, though, he did learn some more because it showed him having a few more conversations. Yeah. Well, Juliette Binoche, uh, her huge emotional death sequence with the nuclear gas, Lloyd, what'd you make of it? I, I liked how that movie, like, right then and there, the movie tells you, okay, this is the direction we're going to go. Like, your main stars could die. And that that's good. Like, at least it's not like a Holly... Oh, I don't want to say... Because Hollywood movies are getting darker, of course. But, you know, usually you can pretty much identify who's going to survive from the get-go. And this movie's willing to, you know, right there, just tell you right away, well, now we're going to kill... Um, the main characters, you know, loved ones and things like that. It's pretty interesting. And it was really sad. Really, I think it, the strength of it came from the performance of Brian Cranston, definitely. For me, these were the expendable characters, though. Oh, really? You spotted it right away. See, you're good well, at picking up stuff like that. <laughs> whenever, the, look, the director of this, Gareth Edwards, constantly showed us children in peril, showed us a little girl 
who was about to get, you know, hit by that tsunami later we'll talk about, he showed us all these little kids. And whenever you show little kids in peril, they're never going to die in these kinds of films. <laughs> People hate movies where babies and children die. Yeah, I can't stand that as well. Yeah. And so the expendable characters are the oldest characters. So in this case, the uh, Juliet Binoche and uh, Brian Cranston characters are on the chopping block. And when you have the emotional center of this film, which is Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's um, kick-ass, mm-hmm. people will know him from, and Elizabeth Olsen, who we've talked about before, Martha Marcy May Marlene on this podcast, they're not going anywhere and their kids surviving, you know what I mean? I see. So the whole time I'm watching this, I'm going, well, they're all going to be fine. Did you like, know regardless. Brian Cranston was going to die? No, I didn't pick that. Um, not at the point where they had him die, because he, um, he did go out like kind of a bitch. Um, <laughs> but... I was going to say, when in the opening titles it says with Brian Cranston and with Ken Watanabe, it's um, kind of a clue they're not going to be in it very much. Oh, right. You know? Cause it's good like pickups, the... Dave. I didn't spot any of that. <laughs> had, had Brian Cranston been the first name that came up, it wasn't. Aaron Taylor Johnson was. But if it was Brian Cranston first, I would have said, yeah, he'll live the entire film. Yeah. He'll be fine. That huge emotional death, though, uh, with the nuclear gas, it was similar to... Um, uh, Spock's death in Star Trek yep. behind the glass and um, that they obviously um, mimicked in Lost when uh, Charlie and Desmond have the glass between them um, fans of Lost will know what I'm talking about and yeah it just um, causes this big chain reaction the whole nuclear uh, plant collapses in upon itself and there's echoes and th- of Fukushima the recent one with the earthquake and that which I liked as well yep and the teacher uh, in young Aaron Taylor Johnson's classroom is evacuating the kids and just leaves him in there so that he can have a nice view from the window. <laughs> like, that's not very responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has a bit of an odd pitch to his voice, Aaron Taylor Johnson. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. In Kick-Ass, it works because he's kind of a prepubescent sure. kid in high school trying to become, like, a superhero. Here, every now and then, his voice went a little bit whiny, and I just don't know whether or not i enjoyed that to be honest it made him seem kind of prepubescent I guess. very impressive physical transformation from kick-ass and then of course to kick-ass 2 where he's much much more muscly and um in this film particular like i was just like wow he's really you know <laughs> filled out <laughs> he's just an adult he's just yes, grown up yeah. <laughs> i haven't seen kick-ass 2 yet is it worth seeing i liked it a lot of people hated it <laughs> okay so it's one of those uh divides people yes, kind of films yep. um so he's an adult, he's married to Elizabeth Olsen, and uh, he's, been, uh, he's been away 14 months on military service, and he quickly does mention that he defuses bombs, which of course is going to come back to play in the film. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, little bit of foreshadowing there. <laughs> I can't believe they went with that ending, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> Brian Cranston's been arrested in uh, Japan, I think it was, and um, he's going to, he's back back uh, 14 months he hasn't seen his wife he comes back and he's making out with her on the sofa but they don't have sex uh he has to go get his dad right now immediately not in the morning <laughs> straight away yeah. gotta leave right away it's just i was like okay all right. <laughs> um interesting that uh when him and his dad and, and the son's name is ford brody which i didn't like at all it sounds made up like you know super american kind of name yeah. <laughs> Did you find that? I don't know. Ford Brody doesn't sound very good. It's very jock. <laughs> yeah. Hey, anyway. Brody. <laughs> Crackpot um, Brian Cranston's character, whose name is Joe Brody. 
uh, he's trying to prove that it was not a natural disaster, that it was something else. It was conspiracy, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, he convinces Ford Brody to go all I Am Legend and go back and get the discs with him. You know, go and see the abandoned area. Yes. And there's a single shot of uh, the birthday sign that he made for his dad uh, at the beginning of the film. And uh, it's it's almost like Godzilla wants to ruin their birthdays because <laughs> it's also Ford Brody's birthday that day too. It's like he knows, you know, he's just a dick. He's Technically, really... it wasn't Godzilla though, was it? Wasn't it like a creature that... It was Muto, yeah, yeah or Muto, the first yeah. Muto. He's out to get I'm, the Brody. I'm not sure which one... <laughs> I'm not sure which one the male and which one the female was of those, by the way, but it's these bugs. Uh, how would you describe them, Lloyd? Kind of like uh, a praying mantis? Yeah, or a cockroach, like a big evolution from a cockroach, or, you know. Uh, I'm assuming just from the mythology that this film takes that the Earth long ago had a lot more radiation, so animals were heaps bigger or something, and um, so these creatures are like relics of an older world. And so I'm assuming it's like a cockroach type thing. Uh, I'm assuming just like a big bug because that's what it looked like. One had wings. The other was very strong, like it could burrow underneath and things like that. Mm. Almost like an ant. Yeah. Um, well, on the head, though, they had these lights that were kind of going down. Yeah, it's an interesting design. Uh, I, I haven't seen too many creature designs like that, uh, in particular in Monsters by the same director. It, it had a lot of those. Like, you see, like, electrical lights, like, inside. Like, almost like electricity is functioning the body. Very yeah. interesting. I haven't seen too many creatures like that. Yeah, I found that kind of an odd design. It seemed almost mechanical, mm. electric, like you say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah when... when the electromagnetic pulses, the EMPs, um, blow out everything. and um, the Yeah, how powerful mutos. is that? Um, just that EMP design. I keep forgetting like how much of the world is obviously run by electronics. And just that one simple um, pulse. Like I heard the sun radiate some, you know, a sunblast could cause disasters like that. Like just a massive EMP. And automatically we're just put in the Stone Age, as they say in the film. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And, and obviously, you know, you need a function like that in this film. Otherwise yeah. it's like, well, why don't they just blow up these just monsters? Just shoot it, yeah. Yeah, so you need to have it. Just, I don't know. It's a really fascinating thing an ability to give to, um, yeah, a monster of that size. Mm-hmm. And and later it was used really effectively when planes were falling out of the sky. Yeah, I, that I love that. Fantastic. That was fantastic, yeah. It's just that this film took about an hour to get going. Yeah, it's a long film. You know, it's a two-hour film, and, the f- like, I watched a film that was so much worse than this the day before, uh, The Other Woman with my wife. Okay. And um, it's Cameron Diaz, it's Kate Upton, it's uh, Leslie Mann, and they're all getting revenge because this one guy's cheating on all of them. And um, that film took over an hour for us to even meet the third girl, Kate Upton. Wow. And um, long story short, it took so long to get going that everything in the trailer, like uh, just the payoff was so late in the film. (laughs) Oh, my God. I kept looking at my watch. But the first hour of this film... Godzilla was um it took too long to uh, get going and it was all this all this stuff with Brian Cranston and his son and his wife and I'm not sure it all was necessary yeah if the film doesn't grab you emotionally with these characters then it's sort of lost it's lost like the major battle at the beginning like to try to hook the audience personally it got me for some reason I, I just liked that it was really hokey though like it was the most typical basic Spielberg structure that you can get like the you know the family 
the, um, the father and son connection. Will they make it through? I got to get back to my family, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but for some reason, it worked for me. <laughs> a lot of the reviews I was reading complained exactly what you said, Dave. It just <laughs> didn't feel right. Look, for me, the one thing that did work about this film, the best thing about it, I thought, was Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, I thought she was wasted in this movie because I know she's impressively talent from our podcast on Martha. I can never say the name. Martha Marcy May Marlene. Yep. <laughs> I'll never get it. Um, I thought, yeah, she's fant- She's a fantastic talent, but all she can do in this movie is give worried looks all the time. And I thought that was just such a waste of her talent. I thought, oh, it would be great to... But she's got great eyes. Like, um, her eyes tell a lot... Um, of, of you know of what she's feeling she can emote a lot from them so you know she's a fantastic presence definitely and like you say she was wasted a bit in this but every time she was on camera it was grabbing the yeah. audience and towards the end when the re, uh, they reunited in the stadium just to jump ahead uh, that was fantastic like a hugely emotional scene and it was because the camera stayed on her and not him mm. um, yeah I think she could have had a bigger part in this film and it would have been better but um Let's talk about Cranston's death. The EMP blows up. Cranston uh, goes from not knowing where his son is to climbing out onto that bridge. Yep. And then, I don't know if this was jarring for you, but as soon as Ford was in danger, he immediately yells, Ford! Yeah, the film had a lot of moments like that. Like, out of the hundreds of thousands of people that are able to spot each other, um at certain parts like i actually thought and just jumping ahead again when the parachute guy came in like obviously that was foreshadowing the airplanes falling down i seriously thought that was him parachuting down to her i'm like oh seriously they're gonna go this so did i for a moment yeah Yeah. (laughs) um i I didn't like it as well how the monsters were eyeing specific people like specifically ford brody like the monsters looking at him knowing that he set fire to the eggs or godzilla knowing you know look i I don't like those moments it just takes me out of it's just like how could that creature know like I don't look at ants. If I'm stumping all over ants, which I don't, by the way, I'm not going to look at one specific ant and go, you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was really jarring that moment, how he was able to spot him like ages away. I thought they were in separate buildings because he was saying when he was being interrogated, he goes, where's my son? Take, I, w- I want to see my son. So he didn't know where he was. Exactly. He had no idea. And then yeah. he goes forward. And I just, I was, that took me out of that too. Look, the destruction was handled pretty well in that sequence. Uh, Brian Cranston falls as a result of uh, the bridge collapsing. Yep. And um, we know that's death, not Sorry to all the Star Trek nerds, but to uh, Captain Kirk in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, one of the worst uh, Star Trek movies ever, but very similar deaths. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, in this film, Ken uh, Watanabe had all the worst dialogue. <laughs> it was like they had him there for credibility reasons and for uh, yeah, he, he's I like I, I really like him as an actor. There's some authenticity to his voice. Like I love the Last Samurai. I loved him in Batman Begins. You know, I, I just think he's fantastic. But you're right, a lot of his dialogue was so corny. I wrote down some of it. Did you Is all laugh any- when he said Godzilla? <laughs> Oh, it was interesting, wasn't it? He's the only one pronouncing it Gozera yeah. or, or whatever. <laughs> I think that's how you actually pronounce it. <laughs> I know, I know, but it was, it was, it, it did take you out of it a little. Everyone bit. Everyone in our cinema laughed. He said it so many times. Is there any personnel you need? That man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that crackpot who came in here obviously knows more <laughs> than everyone else. And then we get our little bit of World War Z, which means that. Uh, everybody goes onto a boat. So just like 
in World War Z when it's all zombie bra- outbreak. We go out onto a boat, and that's got to be the plan. In the film 2012, that's the exact same thing they were doing. End of the world, everyone get on boats. It's probably the safest place when the Earth starts to crack. I know in uh, with the movie Noah, I know where I would want to be if that's if you know if that's not happening. <laughs> that's it. Boats. Get on a boat. That's that's the way they're doing it. <laughs> Brian Cranston dies. Big spoilers there, guys. Um, he was on all the publicity because of Breaking Bad, because of you know uh, everything like that. He's they probably couldn't afford to have him for the entire film. Yeah, and that's understandable. If I had Brian Cranston in a movie, even for five minutes, I'd market him everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then an interesting thing happens. Because Brian Cranston's character, Joe Brody, knew all this stuff and had been researching for 15 years, they obviously wanted to talk to him. However, because he died, they were like, well, I guess the son will do. He's not in any way an expert, but let's tell him all about Godzilla <laughs> and um, just see if he knows anything, you know? See if he wants to know everything, tell him everything, every yeah, fact. That would have been more believable had Brian Cranston just lived. You know, that way it's his son with him there and, you know, and he's too sick and he's, like, on the boat or something rather than just kill him off, you know? I've got a solution. If Brian Cranston's character had been the Ken Watanabe character... Merge those two characters together. So Brian Cranston's been like uh, off for fifteen years. He doesn't know his dad very well, but this is what his dad's been working on. Ah, oh, yeah. You know, you make him the expert, and then when he gets his son and he sees him again and whatever, um, he brings him in on it. You know what I mean? And yeah, then he but it wouldn't work with the line with the watch and the, the military want to um, use the nuclear weapons, and he says, oh, I, "Why are you opposed to this?" And he shows him the watch. You know that that was a pretty cool scene. Okay, but then you have the Ken Watanabe character be the girl character. Oh, um, very cool, yeah. And then she still has the watch scene, or he still has the watch yeah. scene. You know, it doesn't have to be him, but just, I don't know. <laughs> you, <laughs> you had too many characters doing the same sort of yeah. thing. You could have merged a few. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Yeah, definitely. Let me tell you another line I wrote down. I liked this one. Ready? Nature has a power, a balance to restore order. I believe he is that power. Ken Watanabe really loved Godzilla, didn't he? He was like Godzilla. <laughs> I interpreted just that as Godzilla's going to be the human reckoning, like he's going to come and kill a lot of humans to balance it out. But it actually means, you know, he's going to kill these other creatures that aren't supposed to be here. You know, that's it. The, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. So, therefore, humans and Godzilla can live together. Mm. Ugh. There's, there's a bit of a filler storyline where that kid was left on the train. I'm yeah. not sure how that happens with those dumb parents. Both <laughs> parents were there. One of them probably should have stayed with the kid. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens a lot, but I've personally never seen it. Yes, no, nor have I. And it does happen, but often it happens when it's a single parent with a single kid. Sure. When it's two parents with one kid. They just seem dumb. Mm. Anyway, we get some, uh, some Hawaii. The... Um, EMP knocks out the power when they're on the train. Shows that lost little girl on the beach. Yep. And um, that uneasy danger, like I mentioned, with lots of kids in turmoil. Mm-hmm. Godzilla, of course, is about to cause a tsunami, and we get that dog running. Um, and the family, as they're all running away from this wall of water, and they turn right and go into the building. Yep. Do you remember that bit? Yeah. And uh, the, the little girl is fine. As I said, every little kid is going to live in this movie. Um, but obviously the water pressing against that glass was a bit unrealistic that it wouldn't break it. <laughs> That's fine. We'll let that go. Everybody forget that that dog was also running and he's probably dead. Nobody <laughs> nobody think about that. 
And at this point, all I could think about was Independence Day, you know, with the dog who jumps out of the way of those flames. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I started thinking about how in Independence Day, Will Smith is a military guy who's off fighting aliens. <laughs> in this film, it's Godzilla. And his cool girlfriend is out there too, uh, and then with their kid, which is kind of happening. And then I thought this is lifted quite a bit from Independence Day. <laughs> yeah. You how know, could you not these... reference Independence Day doing a disaster movie? That movie was fantastic. <laughs> Definitely. And if you want to know a good film about tsunamis as well, guys, The Impossible was one of our previous podcasts too. I was about to say, yeah, a lot of the, uh, particularly when the water came running down, just reminded me of that movie. Yeah, when you see everything that's being pushed along, yeah. it's interesting. So, Godzilla makes land one hour into the film, Lloyd. Yep. And uh, Godzilla v. Muto. <laughs> and we Japanese... only see fragments of it. Uh, Gareth um, Edwards did a lot of this in uh, Monsters as well, where you always see the monsters in the background and you're like, oh, you know, you're expecting to see, okay, here it is, here's the big showdown. But he constantly reminds you, no, no, this is a human story and the monsters fighting is, part, is environmental and we're just trying to survive this sort of thing. And he does give the battle a lot of time towards the end, definitely. But during the whole build-up to that, I thought, oh, is this the direction it's going to go? I just want to see them fight. <laughs> At this point, I'm thinking exactly the same thing, and I'm so glad you mentioned it. I kept seeing moments where it was like, oh, they're about to face off, and then we cut to a TV screen or something else. And when we cut back, there's just a line of destruction, mm. you know? And I was like, oh, well, we completely missed the action sequence, and this is how they saved money. Mm. You know, you can't have several big... Uh, pardon the the phrasing but kind of gaiju kaiju whatever battles yep you know like in pacific rim it, it wasn't that kind of movie and like you say it was a, a human tale yeah that's right and gareth edwards obviously wants to emphasize that every way possible yeah and and the hope that they're either going to blow it up or godzilla will defeat them yeah <laughs> <laughs> which based on nothing you know it, that comes from ken watanabe that godzilla will defeat them it's it's crazy. Yeah, but that stopped stopped uh, stopwatch or watch from Hiroshima was um, was a really nice little I, I, Yeah, I love that scene. In, in the museum, that I went to the Hiroshima Museum, the, one of the central pieces of it is a watch that has uh, frozen at the exact same time, at the exact moment the bomb went off. And it's really touching, a very emotional experience. I reckon everyone should go visit that place because nothing in the world is like that, you know, where one device shuts off millions of lives or hundreds of thousands of lives, I should say. You know, it's really um, an eerie feeling in that place. And that watch symbolizes that where at that moment a lot of people died and never before in human existence have we had the, that many life terminated in one instance. It's very shocking you know and especially in that way and i love that scene where he doesn't need to drive it home he just goes why are you opposed to our strategy of using these nuclear weapons and he just shows him the watch and tells him the time and the date and that was really effective and the cop and the actor which we should just mention right away what's his name um who plays the military commander the Admiral David's, William Stens was David Strathane. Strathane, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he's a fantastic actor. I loved him in Born Identity. He, you know, he's got the easiest role where he's in a command center just looking at screens all day telling people what to do. But I, I love the authority he brings to his roles. He always looks really focused and his mind is going a thousand miles per hour. There's a lot of intensity there. <laughs> Definitely. Um... As a husband and father, I was uh, a bit appalled 
of how often he had the opportunity to call his wife and didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're both in danger. Eventually, he calls her at the hospital. And he was very but, vague with the messages he left her. Yeah, for I, sure. Because if I was her, I'd be like, where is my husband? <laughs> yeah, and she was making those calls. I mean, you can't spend a lot of time with that, but it's kind of like, don't think about it too much. They'll, they'll see each other again. Don't worry. <laughs> when the... um. When the soldiers are on the train as well, uh, pushing that military... He rejoins the military, of course. Yeah. And um, they're pushing that bomb and everything along, and they see explosions in the distance. I was really afraid we were going to see um, the action from afar and not see it again, yep. you know? Like another one of those, oh, there's, there's things happening, you know, but you don't need to see them kind of thing. I was really shocked at how the monster came at them. I was like, oh, I was in the battle over there, but then obviously he, he was after the nuclear... Um, he could, the monster could sense the nuclear radiation from it, so it wanted that, yep. and I was like, oh, now I get it, yeah. For sure, and on the train tracks, as I mentioned, it's just so you can see the Muto in more detail, mm-hmm. and see it's carrying eggs, yep. you know, those kind of orangey eggs, I guess. <laughs> Look, um, I think he would have died when he did that fall, I don't know about you, but... Um, oh, into the water? Yeah. Yeah, devastating, oof. It would have shattered his legs or yeah, something. something. I mean, yeah, and then the train uh, coming right behind him. Oh, yeah, it's one of those unbreakable moments that very, of course very have spectacular to scene. Um, I, I thought that very tense and everything like that, and good sound and everything like that. Very, very well done. Uh, yeah, and again, we get um, uh, we get to have a scene on the San Francisco Bridge, just like in um, uh, was it Rise Rim? of the Planet of the Apes? Oh, Rise what of the Planet of the Apes. I still haven't seen that. <laughs> oh, the first one. The first one was Rise or yep. Dawn? Which one is Dawn? I don't know. Whichever the first one was. Yep. You get that scene with all the monkeys going across the bridge. This bridge is uh, very popular in films. <laughs> and It's a beautiful bridge you know, I've crossed. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've rode across So have it. I, yeah. yeah. And, and they have a terrible evacuation plan on this bridge. Busloads of kids <laughs> who have been said goodbye to by Elizabeth Olsen in a in a scene right beforehand, they just can't get across this bridge. Mm. Like, I mean, you want people to leave the city. You're talking about detonating a, you know, explosive nuclear weapon. You, you feel like the city would have been evacuated beforehand and then yeah. you can't even keep them moving on the bridge. It's not even a case that there's, like, Godzilla there at the time. Yep. Though he does appear. And then you get those kind of moments where Godzilla's kind of holding onto the bridge, pushing against the bridge, getting uh, missiles shot across him and the bridge... And that big jump moment, Lloyd, did you jump when the bird hit the bus window? No, not at all. Neither did I, but a few people <laughs> in the cinema did. Oh, okay. And it was funny I'm usually like, jumpy with movies as well, like anything that shocks me, but yeah, seemed pretty bulletproof to that. <laughs> pretty late to ask this, but I'm guessing you saw it in 2D? Yeah, I saw it in 2D. Yeah, so I, did I. I would have saw it in 3D ha- had it came in that time frame, but yeah, apparently a lot. Of, it, it was retrofitted, so they shot it in 2D and then they later retrofitted or whatever that means to 3D. I'm assuming that puts in a layer to make it 3D. Godzilla on the bridge, channeling speed, you know, got to slam the, the bus driver. He's channeling speed. He's slamming on the, the accelerator to get those kids safe on that bus. And, and he does, and it's nice. And as, I, as you know, kids don't get hurt in these kinds of films. Mm-hmm. But that EMP knocking out the planes, I thought, was a fantastic Oh, it was amazing. Sequence. I just love how you see the, para- um, the guy parachuting in. And it's just like, wow, what happened there? Your mind wanders for a brief second. Like, could it be her husband? Could it be this? And then you see the planes falling out of the sky. And I was like, wow. 
And just for a moment, I thought it was something coming out of the clouds, like the front of Godzilla or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. You're not really sure what it is when you first see it, but yeah, then then you see it's a parachute. And your mind like, makes oh, the connection, just the power of EMP. Oh, that's right, it can shut off planes. Like, there was a brief moment of it, very sort of very sad. They sort of brush over. It's a very uh, tall bird's-eye view of all the people trying to escape a city and all the streets are all clogged up and you see a plane, like, just burning um, mm-hmm. in, 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 on the ground. Very effective. They're about to fight on the street as well right after that. The um, Godzilla lines up with the Muto and, and they're about to fight and Elizabeth Olsen's trapped in the street. Yeah. And um, you see they're sort of heading towards each other and the door sort of closes and you see them as the door closes. Remember that shot? Yeah. In the trailer, they actually had a different shot for that just quickly. It was um, of Godzilla roaring as the door closed. So it was to hide the identity of these other creatures and you'd think mm. it was just about Godzilla. You know, this happened in the TV series Heroes. Um, Peter Petrelli was able to get the powers of anyone who was around him. So he would sort of absorb these mutants' powers just by being near them. And Sila, played by Zachary Quinto, would get the powers of people by literally cutting open their heads and getting their powers. So he was getting heaps and heaps of powers. Peter Petrelli was getting heaps and heaps of powers. These were the strongest two characters in Heroes. And we got to the point where they were about to fight. And you were like, oh my gosh, it's about to happen. You know, like <laughs> it was building and building for seasons. And I think it was season two or three that they're about to fight. Someone will correct me, I'm sure. But as they're about to fight, uh, the doors close. And you don't see it. Oh, what a ripoff. And that's how I felt with this lineup <laughs> in the street where they're about to fight each other. I thought, what? What the hell? You know, doors closing? Oh yeah, look. <laughs> it was disappointing then. It was disappointing now. They got some things wrong in this film. But first-person point of view, Lloyd, you always do this in your short films. As the uh, soldiers jumped out of the planes and they had those red... Uh, Wasn't that amazing, that, that scene? Flares? Like, um, how the clouds, the storms are coming. Like, I know the trailer was all this, and it was so such a beautiful trailer, such a beautiful scene. Like, I, ca- I cannot emphasize how excited everyone was to see this movie just from that trailer. Like, when everyone's um, coming down with those red streams, and they're approaching the storm clouds, and we see the shadow of Godzilla, and only flashes of him. Oh, terrifying. Look, the the marketing campaign was good. It wasn't as good, probably, as the 1998 film. No, nothing will top that. (laughs) Definitely. But I thought of you when they had all those first-person shots of... uh, The point-of-view shots and the masks as they fell. Yeah, I always do that. (laughs) Puts you right in there. It's a popular shot for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's discuss this ending, Lloyd. Um, The bomb gets attached to the eggs... Godzilla's losing and they explode. He explodes the eggs, killing all the future baby mutos. I remember the friends I was going to see, uh, I was seeing this with um, last night. They were like, oh, how convenient there's a door for them to enter. <laughs> <laughs> like a doorway. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the imagery of the nuclear bomb and all those eggs attached to it. Like, it just evokes that sense of the radiation has created these monsters and, and things like that. It's just a really interesting image. But the only issue I have with that device, it's been done to death. Like, I appreciate and understand the power of nuclear weapons. It's really shocking. But just in a movie viewer thing, um, it's just been done to death. We saw it with Dark Knight um, 
Rises? No, The Dark Knight. Yeah, The Dark Knight Rises. And we both discussed on our podcast how, you know, it's just like, oh, we have to defuse the bomb sort of story or get it to safety. Um, And the Avengers fell into the same thing as well, you know. So uh, I I just think it's been done too much, unfortunately. You know what's not been done too much? What? Godzilla breathing fire lightning stuff. (laughs) It was great to see a return of that. I can't remember if they had it in the 1998 version. Um, I don't remember it. Yeah, I don't remember it at all, but it was just great. I love the build-up to it as well, because Gareth Edwards saves that, you know, for the battle, and then you see the light coming on his spine, and then, boom, oh, it was awesome. <laughs> and we, we had to wait so long for this to happen. Yeah. If you just watched the last 30 minutes of this film, I think you would really enjoy yeah. it. It's just all the stuff beforehand doesn't really matter that much. Sure. And Do, would you appreciate it more if they just trimmed a lot of that down? Like, yeah. I suppose so, yeah. yeah. I mean... Maybe another huge action sequence could have happened in the first 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. yeah. If they inserted a big action sequence, if, for example, after Juliette Binoche dies, um, the Godzilla comes out and destroys things in Japan, I know that's cliched, but has like a big sequence where he's doing that stuff. But ultimately what they want to do is portray Godzilla as like an anti-hero here. He's... um. He's, you know, the savior of man. Against you know what? These, I hated that. <laughs> I hated these that other moment. creatures. Yeah, yeah. I, I just hated the news story he- hero. Um, you know, they were celebrating him as hero, and people were cheering him when he rose back up. I'm like, King of Monsters, <laughs> savior of our city. I've written it down. It should have been ambiguous. Like everyone should have been really scared, and then him just walking away and them staring, not not knowing what to make of this monster. You know, rather than you know, they sort of answered it. Oh, he's our hero. Thank, and they're sort of like thanking him at the end. I thought that was terrible. <laughs> it was so Look, hokey. If- this has been set up for a sequel, hasn't it? But it's one of those unspoken things where another horrible monster will appear and Godzilla will fight that monster yep. next movie. Yeah. I hope That's it's the space formula people now. from space or something rather than, you know, these uh, monsters of the past emerging or something. Because that'd or be cool. Dimensional. Like, it's like Earth's, uh, um, this creature from ancient Earth, Godzilla, versus, you know, Sonic from a, another world. That'd be pretty cool. Definitely definitely would be cool i i I like this movie godzilla compared just as we said at the beginning of the podcast comparing it to the 998 version i think they did really well with this and i hope this movie does really well sure it has problems and i i I have to admit at the very end of this movie watching it i was like oh this is terrible but then thinking about i'm like no it was actually pretty good (laughs) yeah (laughs) i i guess i mean matthew broderick Take your mind back, Matthew Broderick. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's true. We're going to compare it with that. (laughs) I didn't enjoy the whole Godzilla's dead. Oh, he's not dead. Yeah. Either because you don't kill Godzilla and that's one of the rules of taking on a Godzilla adaptation. You know, you can't kill Godzilla unless you have like Godzilla, another one out there that we're aware of, you know. You can't kill the franchise, especially in the reboot. Wasn't that cool how he takes the creature's um, face, like, uh, you know, pulls on his mouth and then breathes that fire into his um, throat? That was cool. <laughs> yes. It, it did remind me of... Um, King Kong? In King Kong, where King Kong opens up the... The jaws. Uh, T-Rex's oh. mouth. Yeah. And breaks its jaw. Oh. And first off, that's what I thought he was doing. I thought he was about to break the jaw. Yep. And then he breathes the lightning fire stuff down, and it's just like, oh yeah, that was the coolest stuff. And you had to save that for the third act. Apparently, in Japan, you had to keep that out. And the they were laughing uh, when they saw Godzilla because he's so fat. 
Um, yep. Everyone in Japan was laughing, uh, Japanese audiences. And I was like, yeah, he is looking a bit porky. He hasn't fought in a while, though. <laughs> That's right. It's been 15 years yeah. of just swimming around, <laughs> eating plankton or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, next time on the podcast, we'll be talking about Bad Neighbors. But I've got a brand new segment to debut before that, Lloyd. Can't and wait. it's called Quiz Me If You Can. I'm thinking Quiz Me If You Can uh, is a a segment where I give you 10 questions, Lloyd, about a certain topic, and we see how well you do. Uh, you have been criticised on this podcast a little bit for uh, modern film knowledge, I suppose. Oh, I'm terrible, yeah. You know, knowing actors' names, things like that. <laughs> so uh, today I thought we would, in the lead-up to uh, X-Men Days of Future Past coming out, I thought we would um, do 10 questions with multiple-choice answers about X-Men. Okay. You accept this challenge? Yeah, sure. I've got. Uh, I've got to warn you. I've got Google in front of me. Oh well, that's not. Come on, man. <laughs> Scouts honor. You know, you're not going to use. No, Google, I'm not going to use right? it. All right. Well, who was director's director Brian Singer's first choice to play Wolverine for the original X Men film? I don't know the name, but he was in uh, Mission Impossible Two. He played the main villain there. Okay, uh, his first choice, not who they first cast. I know who you're thinking of. Oh, okay. Um, no, I don't know then. Yeah. He, here are the options. Yep. There, there are options, Lloyd. Uh, Russell Crowe, Mel Gibson, or Jean-Claude Van Damme. You feel free to talk it out. Uh, what was the first one? Russell Crowe. Yep. Mel Gibson, or Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'll say Russell Crowe. And you'll be correct. <laughs> Which of the following characters has Ray Park, who plays Toad in X-Men not portrayed all right who has he not played yep chuck norris darth maul or johnny cage in the mortal kombat film i'll say chuck norris he's actually played chuck Norris. oh okay it's johnny cage isn't it <laughs> it's johnny cage yeah. he was darth maul yep. famously which of the following characters does not die in x-men the last stand Big spoilers here for X-Men The Last Stand, if you haven't seen it. The third X-Men series film. Who does not die? Jean Grey, Cyclops, or Beast? I'm going to say Jean Grey. And I'm afraid you'll be wrong, Damn because it. Jean Grey uh, is the villain. Yeah, well, I thought X she re, re um, got a rebirth as the Phoenix or something. Like, I know she, it dies, but I don't know. There was, like, a hint that she's rebirthed again in some other galaxy. I just thought, no... Well, Beast, Beast lives. Beast lives, so. sure, yeah. I think he becomes a senator or something at the end of that one. All right, complete this quote from X-Men 2. What exactly are you a professor of? Oh, what exactly are you a professor of, Professor Logan? It's kind of emphasis there for you. <laughs> what does uh, Hugh Jackman's character, Logan Wolverine, respond? Art, life, or action? I'll say life. Art, I'm afraid, Lloyd. <laughs> In the comics, who does Rogue permanently absorb the powers of, which are flight and strength, etc.? The White Witch, Miss Marvel, or Mutant X? Oh, jeez, I don't even know who Mutant X is, so I'll say Miss Marvel. And you are correct, sir. <laughs> who portrays Gambit or Remy LeBeau in X-Men Origins Wolverine? Is it Taylor Kitsch? Taylor Lautner, Taylor Schilling. Uh, Taylor Kitsch? Correct. <laughs> of course, you know from uh, John Carter. Yep. Bonus point, who uh, will portray 
him in the new Gambit film. It's been announced very recently. I don't know. I don't know anything about the new casting. <laughs> That's all right. It's Channing Tatum. Oh, really? Wow. Interesting yeah. choice. Yeah, I think he's got the jawline for it. Yeah, I always thought the best would be um, that guy from Lost, uh, the main villain in... Oh, oh no, you not think the main Sawyer. Villain. Yeah, Sawyer. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess... I think he was offered it, um, technically, but he uh, thought it was too similar to Sawyer. Oh, okay. It seemed like he was treading old ground. Um, all right, number seven of ten here, Lloyd. Doing well, four, four correct so far. <laughs> How old is Oscar winner Jennifer Lawrence right now? She plays Mystique in the new films and in X-Men First Class. Is she 23, 25, or 27? I'm going to say 23. And you're correct, sir. Yeah. August 15th, 1990 is her birthday. She's so young. She is, and to have uh, the Oscar and everything, mm. yeah. True or false? Ready? To prepare for his role as Professor Charles Xavier in X-Men First Class... James McAvoy shaved his head before learning that the filmmakers wanted Professor Xavier to have a full head of hair in the prequel. Michael Fassbender also had a shaved head at the time. Both actors wore wigs for the duration of the shoot of X-Men First Class. So just true or false? Correct. True Um, or false? It sounds too crazy not to be true, but I'm just going to say false. It is false. The first bit was true. Only James McAvoy wore a wig for some of the shoot. I went a bit overboard with the Michael Fassbender stuff just to see if I could get you. (laughs) So I think you've got six correct now, if I'm counting that right. Halle Berry has turned down several roles in the past. I'm going to name three roles, Lloyd. Halle Berry plays Storm, of course, in Mm X-Men. Here are three roles, two of which she was offered and turned down, and one of which she's never been offered and I'm just inventing it. You have to find the one I'm just throwing in there, all right? Okay. So, which role was she never offered and never turned down? Lara Croft, which Angelina Jolie portrayed in Tomb Raider, Sandra Bullock's role of Annie in Speed, or J-Lo's role of Ricky in Geely? Jeez, I don't know any of them. Um, so I'm going to say the first one. Um, that is correct. She she was not offered Lara Croft's Lara role Croft, in yeah. Tomb Raider. Because I couldn't imagine that ever. Like, if I own the video game series, like, you've got a very specific English lady that you want to cast in that role. Like, you, it wouldn't be Halle Berry. It just wouldn't. You know, you just couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Look, you've done far better than I thought you would, Lloyd. <laughs> Final question. Now, this one, there are four answers. I'm going to give you half a point for each one. Up to a total of two points here, right? Yep. In the X-Men 1993 Sega Mega Drive video game, who were the playable characters? The hint is they've all featured in X-Men films. Yep. So you want me just to name them? Name four characters. Yep. That's right. Uh, I played this game a lot. Yeah, I can vaguely remember it. So I'm going to say Cyclops, Wolverine. Correct so far. Oh, there's been so many X-Men games. Uh, I'm getting confused with the um, fighting game. <laughs> uh, I'll just have to guess the other two. Uh, Colossus and Gambit. Gambit is correct, but uh, Nightcrawler was the fourth Nightcrawler, one. Nightcrawler, right, yeah. He could literally teleport through the walls of the level. It was amazing. <laughs> anyway, that will be Quiz Me If You Can for this week. And that concludes Pod Me If You Can for this week. Next week, tune in for Bad Neighbours, guys. 
Thanks very much for listening and uh, we will talk to you then. 